Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm Mike Siegel, and this is part one of my uh, two-part conversation with Matt Kirshen. I want to thank all of you who have written in and said nice things. If you want to write me, you can write me at mike at traveltalespodcast.com. The website is traveltalespodcast.com. You can go there, see photos of our guests, and there's an iTunes link. You can click on that, and that will take you to iTunes where you can subscribe for free to our show. The best price ever. Free. And while you're on iTunes, how about giving us, how about giving us a good rating, huh? How about that? Maybe say a few nice things. That boosts our presence, helps more people find the show, and that's always a good thing. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. And we're also on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher. So you can look for that on Stitcher Radio. Travel Tales Podcast. Um, I am fighting a little bit of a cold. If I sound a little stuffy, I had to return to Connecticut. So I had to fly back to the East Coast on short notice due to a, an unfortunate death in the family. And I had just started to get my sleep pattern intact from London and Lisbon. And then I went back three more hours on the East Coast and my body said, hey, what's going on? And it decided to give me a cold. And I'm sure flying multiple hours with a bunch of uh, sick people on an airplane didn't help. But I'm used to that. Anybody who travels, we're used to that. So should be out of the woods in a couple days. But I did get to sit down on my return with uh, Matt, who's an Englishman and a comedian, a funny guy who I've worked with on a number of occasions. I did his podcast, the Probably Science podcast with him and uh, Andy Wood. Enjoyed myself immensely, and I said, hey, why not come on the Travel Tales and tell me a little about your experiences traveling around the world? And he has traveled a lot. And uh, please enjoy part one of my two-part conversation with Matt Kershaw. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I am with my guest, comedian Matt Kirshen. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you doing? Good to have a, a true Brit here. Ch- I am a legitimate Brit. The last one I talked to was my friend Vicky in uh, Hackney right? in London. I was just there a couple weeks ago. Stayed yes. with her in lovely Hackney. It's all right, Hackney, isn't it? Like it's, it's, you know, it's kind of hipster now. It's yeah, very hipster. Hackney was like, it's one of those areas that was traditionally like very working class, quite poor. Um, and then all the artists moved in, and now it's all warehouse spaces, and and the people without money are being pushed further and further out of the city. <laughs> exactly. This tends to happen. Like that's what every gentrification works. It's like the artists go in looking for cheap space. Yeah, and then after them, the gay men come, and then they start you know seeing new galleries and yeah, and like, then the cafes and all this, and then the, the hipsters architects come. Who are friends with the artists? Yeah. and then the solicitors who are friends <laughs> with the architects. And exactly. Then, and then the yuppies come, and then everybody got to move. And then everyone's because... like, well, we can't afford to live where we grew up anymore. <laughs> exactly. I've seen it throughout Brooklyn. I've seen it everywhere. Yeah, like Silver Lake in LA. Yeah, it's the same it's... thing. Where uh, where in London are you from? Are you from, actually, the city? Yeah, well, I grew up in the suburbs. I was born in Hampstead. I grew up in, like, Stanmore and then Northwood, which is out by Watford. It's right out in the suburbs. Okay, right, right, right. And um, you're, uh, oh, that's right. You were talking about this earlier. Your father was a Watford football fan. Well, he was a West Ham fan originally, which is near Hackney, which is where you were staying. Yep. Um, that's what he, cause that's what his dad supported. His, my dad was a, my grandfather was a West End tailor. Oh. Sorry, a East End tailor, rather. A so, tailor? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and then, and then my dad moved. Like we moved down in Watford. My dad supported, started supporting them. Okay. Uh, but then I lived. Once I left home, I lived in Crouch End, which is in North London. Okay. Now, so uh, Jewish, right? Yeah. Brought up Jewish. Uh, what's the uh, big population of? Uh, uh, is there a bo- large population of Jews in uh, London? Well, like anywhere in the world, there's a surprisingly low population when you actually find out the numbers. Yeah, right. Like it's just you it's like, like, oh, they're everywhere, and then it's three percent. Yeah, if, if that. <laughs> but yeah, like London, London, like the the sort of more observant Jews are, for, are sort of right. gold is greens. The gold gold is green is the very Jewish area, and then Stamford Hill is where the really orthodox ones live. There's like this sort of area. This is community where yeah, like ones, La Brea up the street here yeah the ones who don't even talk like the ones who wear all the full costume and don't even talk to the other ones yeah gotcha yeah those are my neighbors when I used to live up uh, near West Hollywood oh, not yeah. a friendly bunch to uh, live next to yeah friend, like you know friendly if you sort of engage them in conversation but they kind of keep to their they're, they're, yeah. they're an entity to if you're not one of them you're wrong that was the tough and then we yeah. have like 50 kids yeah, yeah, totally. It's uh, <laughs> they're, they're this whole self-contained thing with a sort of, we need to make more of us because there aren't very many. Right, right. So we can start on the comedian thing. Yeah. Uh, you started in London. Now you're living here. You split your time? I Right now, it's a lot more there than here. Sorry, here than there, rather. Okay. I'm much more in America. Oh, okay. And why did you choose LA and not New York? Because I first came over to do a TV show in LA, and then I made contacts and friends here, and and also, you know what? The other reason why I ended up spending more time in LA than New York is, I've got friends in New York. None of them have space. Oh, you wanted space? So, okay, then. but not even no, not even that I wanted space if I moved there. Because if I had my own place, that'd be fine. But if you're going there to do gigs, you're either crashing on a friend's couch, which is also his bed, which is also his sink. <laughs> yeah, or you're you're in a hotel and the hotels are like four hundred dollars a night in New York. So you just unless I'm going over, unless I've got a, like a real reason to be in New York, like if I've got a TV thing and they're covering accommodation, or I've, or I can just find or friends out of town, I can take over his place. Right, right. It's there's no way of really kind of doing New York in for a while. But actually, so I just ended up in LA. And I unless you've got it. like tons of gigs lined up, because actually, as, as a stand-up city, it's actually I always found it better. As a stand, a live yeah. performance city, and I've always liked New York when I've been there because I grew up in London. It's a really similar, yeah. It's a similar city, like it's one, you know, big, and it's a much easier flight too. It's, yeah, it was six hours, but it's it, it's got the same vibe as London. I kind of get it. It's you know, it's got it's packed in. It's got a subway system that you use to get everywhere. It's uh, right. You don't need a car. You bounce from gig to gig with public transport, and it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's got a similar pace to London. It's, I get it. I like it, <laughs> but. It is very expensive. It's really impractical to spend any time there. And you and you wanted to see this thing we like to call the sun. Yeah. Which, you did, which I'm sure you didn't get growing up well, in uh, England the, too much. We got all the American TV shows and films and stuff, so we, we, we were aware of it. <laughs> We'd you know, seen it. Yeah, so, you know, you'd, you know, we'd see, like, Miami Vice or whatever, and, <laughs> and the, the camera would pan across the sun uh at the opening like you know the beginning of a scene or whatever so you, you you'd know what it was you get it <laughs> right were you one of those families did you vacation like in spain or so did you have a summer place we didn't have a summer place but we'd always yeah we'd normally have summer holidays in like you know spain or one of the span often spain one of the spanish islands mm-hmm. Mallorca, ibiza and, ibiza yeah ibiza Mallorca, menorca all of those kind of 
sea, but those beaches, like a lot of the great beaches in Spain, uh, have been kind of ruined by giant package by trips from by, the Brits. By yes. me and my family and our friends. <laughs> yeah, because what happened was about, you know, when I was young, that, that was still around the time that people used to mostly have vacations in Britain or there'd be like coach trips that would take you to Spain, you know, take forever. Right. And then... And, you know, I remember we used to... There was a place on the east coast of Britain that we used to go to every so often. Uh, it was this little town called Westgate, which I think is in Suffolk or somewhere. I can't remember where exactly it is. Is that the one near... Um, what's the one? Is it Brighton? No, the... Um, Brighton's on the south coast. No, the one with all the casinos and the... Uh, uh, they did a take on it. Viva Laughlin was a take on... It was Viva... It was a, like a show oh. in Britain, the BBC. It's oh, on I the West know. Coast. Oh, you saw Black Blackpool? Blackpool. Yeah, no, that's right up. That's up okay. north. Blackpool's near Manchester. Oh, all right. Blackpool's kind of a little bit north, uh, northwest of Manchester. This is um, sort of southeast on a, you know, the bit of Britain where it's sort of like it's Britain's kind of like a triangle, but it has like a bulge out to the right hand yeah. side, <laughs> like there, on the bottom bit of the bulge bit there. By Kent and Dover. Yeah, and all sort that? of Kent. I think it actually was Kent. Um, I've been to Kent. But it's, there's no real reason to go there. No, I was coming through. I, I took the uh, the first time I ever went to England, and I took the uh, the channel crossing the, on the ferry, okay. and it went and landed in Dover. Yes. And so I was uh, hitchhiking from Dover to London. Right. And then we went through Kent somehow. Somehow I got laywayed in Kent. Dover is in Kent, so yeah, yeah. you would have gone through there on the way <laughs> on the way to London. But it's a uh, but yeah, about probably around the mid '80s, there was a real boom in these package trips where they'd yeah these whole like these companies would have like yeah you get your your family gets the flight and accommodation in a sort of you know two or three star holiday resort and there's a pool in the center and, a, and <laughs> yeah. the kids get to have and you know there's an entertainer who looks after the like a right. you know kid camp in the day and you run around doing face painting or whatever and the kid and the parents can have time to themselves <laughs> and you learn nothing about the culture oh no, you no. never talk to any of the locals no the whole you know the whole resort <laughs> like everyone in the resort is either english or german like <laughs> yeah, <basically. right. laughs> so were those your first trips out of the country I always envied like uh, anybody lives in Europe because it's such a quick, easy trip to another country. Oh, totally! You know, um, in the same way that in America, you know, you travel between states. If yeah, we go to. If you grow up in the middle of America, you you can fly for seven hours in any direction and not hit another country. <laughs> right. And then even if you do, you you hit Canada, and then you've got to fly for another twelve hours in any direction to get out of it, <laughs> yeah. or Mexico. So you know, so you you you're kind of limited on that. Whereas from my yeah from London. Within a three-hour flight, you, I don't know how many countries you could hit. 20-odd countries? Cause the, oh, yeah. Because yeah, that yeah. bit of Europe's like, you know, it's divided up like states in America. And now these, uh, these budget airlines like Ryanair and EasyJet have really changed yeah. everything. There was a, I think the EasyJet had a direct flight when I was in Goa, India, from like Manchester. You know, it, was, it was crazy. And yeah. that's, that's pretty remote. And that's pretty far. Yeah, totally. They, they're, they're a bit like Southwest in America. Yeah. I right. just took my first EasyJet flight when I went from the, Lisb- to Lisbon from they're London. Okay. The, the thing that they do, though, is they, they advertise crazy low rates, and then they stick you They nickel and dime you for everything. If, everything. If, oh, thank God. Uh, my bag fit in the uh, overhead. Yeah, your bag. Like, Ryanair. That would have been worst. like 50 pounds or something. Ryanair are proper scum. Like, they are, <laughs> I mean, they really are. Like, the guy who owns it, I think Michael O'Leary is his name. He's a dick, and he's just... <laughs> he will, They will stiff you on everything. Like, you know, if, if, you, if you miss the check-in time... Even if the plane hasn't landed yet, they will go, no, you need to buy a new flight. Because, like, everything, um, if Ryanair charges you, if you don't check in online at home, they charge you to print out your boarding pass. Oh, yes, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, They 
They charge you to print out your boarding. They charge you to check in online. Sorry, to check in there. But even if you checked in online but not printed out your boarding pass, they charge you to print it out. Like they just <laughs> well for the ink and toner. That's yeah. What... And they they also charge. They advertise. They'll advertise like um, one pound flights. Like it. Like to, yeah, right. And it, which is ridiculous. But then uh, then there's tax, and then there's um, then there's a booking fee per person per direction. What? So I think it's wait a minute. So I think it's five pounds. So if you've got a family of four, and you and you want to go there and back again, there's eight booking fees you have to pay. Oh my god! And the way they get away with advertising low, low price, excluding that, is there's one type of card that you can pay on where you don't pay the booking fee, and that's a Visa Electron card, which is the card, which is the debit card you get with the account that you open when you're 15 and have a paper round. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like that's a that's um. Like I, I had a Visa Electron card when I was a kid, and then I got a proper account. Then, when then I was you grew old. up. Yeah, yeah and then you became a man. And so if you want to, if you want to buy your flights on your daughter's <laughs> bank account, like that, I guess that's the only way to avoid the booking fee is to sort of transfer <laughs> money into your kid's account and pay for it. I did notice that you know EasyJet was. Oh, I said, wow, this this fare is a lot lower than the other ones by far. And then you start to add it up. They charged me an extra, I think, five pounds to uh, use a credit card. Yeah, that wasn't their approved credit card. Or like a debit or something like that. It was just if you wanted a Visa and Mastercard, which are the two most popular ones that everybody uses. Yeah, that was an extra five pound fee on top yeah. of it. And right, I don't know if EasyJet does it, but Ryanair would charge you five pounds per like for there and five pounds. Oh, back. Oh, that's brutal. And per person on the booking. How do they treat you? I haven't flown Ryanair. EasyJet, I mean, it was fine. Uh, EasyJet's actually all right. EasyJet, the planes are okay. Ryanair is like a. Uh, have you ever, have you ever traveled? I was going to say if you ever travel Megabus, but Megabus in America is different to Megabus in the UK. Like Ryanair planes, uh, they're like the seats are like this plastic vinyl that doesn't recline. There's no, there's no tray. There's no tray thing. They it's obviously like try a subway. Sell. Yeah, it, it completely is. There's um, the the back of the chair uh, in front of you, rather than having uh, like either a TV monitor or even like a tray that you can put stuff on, has um, adverts. <laughs> they, <laughs> sold, they sold ads on the back of they the chair. They sold ads on the back of the chair, and every and and when you're sitting down, there's like this this advert that plays on this sort of radio commercial that plays oh, on a no. loop um, for about and it, it's only about three minutes long. And it's got about like four ads, <laughs> and it's trying to plug stuff and it and it and it it's sort of going uh what? And then one of them is like. While you're sitting down, while you're in flight, why not relax with a nice, refreshing glass of... And there's like a little... sound. He goes, J2O. And, then, <laughs> and that plays. And then it like advertises another drink. And then it advertises food. And then it advertises one of their, their credit cards. They Oh, they sell scratch cards. No, they in sell flight. lottery cards? They on sell the... lottery cards Oh, this flight. is low rent. They don't do the drawing on the, on the plane, do they? They like if like everybody gets a card at the beginning of the flight, we'll have like, a drawing yeah, at got the like end. Like a bingo wheel at the <laughs> yeah. front. There. It's just B twenty eight. It really is just it's the tackiest flight. But if you, you know, if you're flying, if you, if you're just want, if you just want to go from one place to another, you've got no luggage whatsoever. Right. You're only going one direction. You can get a cheap deal on it, but they are scum. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> They're awful. So when you were growing up, these flights, these these cheap airlines didn't exist, did they? No, they started around. I don't. I couldn't tell you exactly when. Somewhere in the nineties. Okay. Now, as a comic, I started in Chicago. Yeah. And we did tons and tons of driving, and then I moved to New York, and because the cities are so close together there, I would tell them about. Yeah, it was nothing for us to drive seven, eight hours 
to do a show. And yeah. to them, they're just going from New York to Boston, which is only like four hours. They thought, oh, that was so far. They couldn't imagine. Well, yeah, it's a bit like it's a bit like that in the UK. Um, in the with no traffic, if I drove for more than five or six hours in any direction from my house, I'm either in a different country or right. the sea. <laughs> Except the country's so compact that traffic, like in between those two, in America, you've got traffic in the cities, but once you get onto the main onto the highway, oh yeah, you're between those two nowhere, cities. Sure. Like if you're driving from yeah Chicago to Minneapolis or whatever. Chicago, you which just, was six and a half hours. I could you could tell you know I know exactly, <laughs> but you you you'd also know the second you're on the outskirts of Chicago. Yeah, it's just getting out of town. It's you're on you're just on a straight road for six hours, and then right. you get into Minneapolis, and then there's a bit of traffic there. Whereas in Britain, like say if you're driving from London to Leeds, which is about three and a half to four hours, you pass five major cities along the way. <laughs> yeah. So you sort of go, yeah, you sort of go through like places like Luton, which is... I flew out of Luton a, Airport. That's yeah, where. that's a that's a con, isn't it? <laughs> London, Luton Airport. It's just, it's not the same city at all. It's yeah. a completely different town that's about an hour outside of London. But, um, but you know, you pass like Luton and Milton Keynes and that kind of place. And then the, then you go past Birmingham and you've got... Which is the second biggest city. Yeah, yeah. and you got, which is just a little bit to the west. And then you go directly past Leicester, Nottingham, Sheffield, uh, <laughs> and then you get to Leeds. So you... You're passing all these quite big, you're passing big cities, and each of them have traffic, and you could be stuck on the on the motorway between the cities for hours. Right. <laughs> so London to Leeds it should take three and a half hours, but it can easily take seven. So as a comic, uh, if you're based in London, is there is it almost like the New York scene where there's enough work within the city that you don't there have to leave? People, there are some people who never leave London, but I always say if you're starting, get out of town because that was the best thing I did. Because in London. Certainly when I started, it's, the whole scene, scene's changed now, anyway, but when I started, there were, like, the open mic clubs, uh, and then there were the kind of pro clubs, and there wasn't really the middle ground. But if you went to Manchester or Birmingham or Cardiff or whatever, there were all these gigs where it was much easier for a newer act to get, like, 20 minutes and maybe a bit of money. And, yeah, I was and always you, very happy I started in the Midwest. Yeah, you? and you get to share the bill. Like, I did loads of these gigs where I, I, was, I knew I was basically being booked because I had a car. <laughs> and because I was willing to drive the headliner. But, you know, you'd you'd drive the headliner um, three hours there, three hours back. You'd get three hours of talking to them, picking their brain about comedy and probably pissing them off. Yeah. No end. So what, when, when this happens, what happens? Or would you just, <laughs> just, can you look at my set and tell me what you think? And maybe give right. it, it was probably insufferable. But you get to do that and you get to work with professionals. Because if you just stayed in London, that you sort of, if you're not careful, you just, you only gig with people who are at your level. Mm-hmm. And you only get to do five minute sets for no money, uh, but I got to do you know longer sets, maybe get a bit of just barely enough money to cover the fuel. Like I remember the first time I ever got paid to headline, and I use that in the loosest possible sense. <laughs> Someone, how much so, time were you doing? I was doing twenty minutes. That's the headlining set twenty. That was the headline, which actually, oh, which actually on. quite often in in Britain, a lot of the pro gigs you do twenty to thirty minute sets. Okay. Which is the only length of time that you never do in America. I know. Yeah, well, we usually do, yeah, the standard You might if you're three featuring, man, but... Yeah, the standard yeah. three-man show here that we always start out was 15, 30, 45. Yeah. yeah, in America, the only two, like, the only length of sets I do. If I'm in L.A. or New York, I do, like, somewhere between five and 12 minutes. Yeah, that's all you get in those towns. In, if I'm headlining on the road, I'll do between 45 and an hour. And if I'm doing a college gig, I'll do an hour. The one length of time I never do is the thing that 20, I exclusively 25. do in Britain. Um <laughs> But they paid me. It was some student union in uh, 
in Swansea, and they paid me twenty pounds to drive. And did that cover the uh, the gas? Not even close. <laughs> not even <laughs> like the gas was about it was, it was about forty. But I, oh, and it yeah. was about it was about an eight hour round trip, and I could not have been more delighted. Oh uh, yeah. I, I remember, yeah, the first time I got paid, it was like, I can't believe you were paying me to, to do this. Yeah, the, well, I, I remember the first time I got paid was um, this guy, Agraman, who runs these gigs in uh, uh, around Manchester. He, he builds himself as Agraman the Human. Agraman? Agraman the Human Anagram. That's how he builds himself. <laughs> and okay. he's, he's just, he promotes gigs around uh, the Manchester area. Um, so it's like, like a string of bad one-nighters. Well, actually, he, he always ran nice rooms. That's the thing. They were always, um, like... He, he he goes on, he hosts his own shows often, and he goes on, he tells these terrible puns, but he's so kind of likable. The audience kind of hates his material, but kind of likes him, and then he, and then they're relieved that he stopped when he gets an act on. So, <laughs> but so many acts around the North uh, West got their start with him, and he's just, he's a generous man. I was driving a few other, oh no, it's actually, I wasn't the one driving on this one, but we were driving up to the, to Manchester to do, to do a different show, and one of the guys, the guy who was headlining that show, was doubling with Agraman's gig. So we went there first because the timing worked out that way. And I got introduced to him and he went, uh, what do you want to do five minutes? And I was doing a 10 minute set at the other gig and I was new and I was like, I've worked out my 10 minutes. I don't know. I don't know if I can switch my brain. And, and my friend Gary went, yeah, Matt, you do want to go on. And I went, okay, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and I did it and had a nice gig. And then as, as a thank you for doing the spot, he gave me 10 pounds as a, oh, thanks for doing a spot on my show. Here's some money for, for fuel. And which is which is so lovely. Like, when does anyone do that? Like, give an un give a drop in guest set, even like ten pounds. It was the first money I'd ever got for doing any comedy, and I wasn't expecting it. So I'll always yeah, that's great. I'll always like the guy. Is there because you know I I go around uh, America, you perform around, and people always ask, oh, I was doing a show in the South different than doing a show in LA, or different? and I always find the differences tend to be more between not so much the regions, but city people and small town people. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, urban and rural. Yeah, and, and and between like a kind of, you know, corporate-y crowd and then just like a family crowd yeah. and, a, and a, like a student-heavy crowd. Uh, but in general, I mean, now with, uh, you know, of course, television, the internet and everything, everybody's got kind of the same references. Yeah, it's you, a lot more – it's it's a lot more similar than it used to be. There, there's definitely variances in the type of comedy that comes out of certain regions in the U.K., like definitely like up in the uh, north, and, and have you played Scotland at the French festival? Oh yeah, yeah, um, absolutely, and other bits of Scotland too. I I love gigs in Scotland. Um, uh, How do they take you as an Englishman? Do they have a? They start off in a hole. Do you start off already being English? I don't know. Like it depends on the place in Scotland, but cer- <laughs> like certain places, like Glasgow, can be a bit hard nosed. As can Belfast in Northern Ireland. Well, oh yeah, I've never been to Northern Ireland. It's great. I love it, but it's Belfast and Glasgow. Are those two, the two kind of towns where. They're kind of a hard-edged audience, and they you need to prove yourself. But when you do, you'll have the best gig, one of the best gigs of your life. Like it's some like of the, the first five minutes, they're they're sniffing you out and smelling yeah, fear, and exactly. And then if you, but then if you win them over, they will they will take you to their heart like nothing else. Like I've had some <laughs> Glasgow particularly, I've had some of my favorite ever gigs in that town. They're really because they're they're smart, they're savvy, but they're unpretentious. They're completely lacking in pretension, so they're just it's. <laughs> They're good. They're really... And also, Glasgow has one of the best comedy clubs in the country. Glasgow and Edinburgh both have branches of the Stand Comedy Club. Okay. Which, um, it's, it's just one of those clubs that's just run right. 
Yeah. They just... It's a good size. They police the room. It's in a cellar. They bill it well. Yeah. It, it, it's like both of them are downstairs. They've opened one in Newcastle. I've not got to do that one yet. But they're both... Um, they're downstairs. Really pack them in tight. Low ceiling. Uh, hard walls. Good booking policy. And also they have a policy of they don't take big group bookings. Oh, so you don't have your bachelorette parties and or crap like that? birthday parties. So oh, if, if someone's trying to do... If someone's trying to book for that, they'll actively... They'll they'll say to they'll suggest the club up the road. They'll suggest you go to Jonglers, yeah, which is the like the big club that I've has, heard of them. That's a chain, right? Yeah, it's a big chain, and they specialize in in having like they have long tables and they'll do dinner and that kind of thing. And like the improv of uh, yeah, but even even England. more sort of pitched towards bring us your party. And they have like a kind of it turns into a disco after like they have a okay. little nightclub dance club afterwards. Um, so but this all, is about to stand up, and they really like the art of it. Yeah, exactly, and it's and it's good, and the two work. But it's good to have both in a city, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, I actually, some people sort of sniff on that, like look down on those, the, the birthday party clubs, but they have, a, they have a role. And I'd much rather there is a club that people can go to. Like, I, I remember a friend of mine who, who's really comedy savvy. And he's a smart and funny guy. And he was organizing a stag night or a bachelor party, I guess you call yeah. it over here. And he was asking me to recommend a comedy club they could go to. And I just went, well... Jonglers. No, I just, I should, I should just... <laughs> first of all, you go, why would you on your bachelor? That's a lame bachelor party, first yeah. of all. But I, I Let's said... go hear some jokes. No, go see tits, friend. That's what you want <laughs> no. to do. It's always a disappointment. But it's, uh, but I suggest, like, go, go to this club because they're equipped. To, like, I'd never normally suggest it, but they're equipped to handle you. And I just looked through and picked the one with the best lineup. And it's the same comics who play all the other clubs. Yeah. I was like, no, these guys, th- these three guys on this bill are really good. <laughs> you're gonna have a good night but also it's in a club that can contain you and whatever it is you're about to do that evening <laughs> is there a uh, a marketplace for british comics in europe i mean can you go is there a tour yeah yeah like um, the beatles went to hamburg you could go up into like scandinavia or something like I've that i've gigged in so many countries because i started in the uk there's firstly there's these whole circuits in the far east and the middle east that are booked out of the uk Really? So I've gigged in Dubai, Oman, Singapore, Indonesia. Um, Have you done Hong Kong? I've never done Hong Kong, but there is a gig in Hong Kong. Yeah, I went there, and uh, uh, Dwayne Perkins was over there. Right. He was on the show. (laughs) I hung out with Dwayne. Well, he was there, and it was all... And uh, I bet you that was booked because Dwayne does shows in the UK. I bet Yeah, I think he met, and it took a while for him to go, because it was two other English comics on the bill. And and the crowd was all Brits. Yes. Because there's another comedy club in town... Uh, takeout comedy that uh, has a like mix of locals and it gets have a Chinese night and that kind of thing. But this was all Brit. You might as right. well have been in you know Birmingham. Yeah, I've done and I've done both, and I prefer it when there are some locals in there because some of the expats, are, particularly Dubai, I really didn't like Dubai. Oh, really? Yeah, I hated it. I was only in the airport, but the airport oh, is fabulous. The airport's gorgeous, and but it's just, everything is built yesterday. Oh, you meet some unpleasant people. It's just it's really. It's really grotesque. Dubai. Like Dubai has several layers of racism okay. stacked on top of each other. It's really, and you can f- just you can feel them. Like you know the, the. So were the Brits there working for like the oil companies? Yeah, and like you know the Arabs look down on on the white people and everyone. Like the the Arabs are on the very top, but then the Brits and the and the sort of you know the white people look down on. There's like this sort of subclass of. It's almost slaves. Like, it's proper slavery. Yeah. They t- and they bring in, like, Indians they, and, stuff, they and Pakistanis. In, yeah, and, and, to- and they take away their passports. Oh, really? And they tell them that they owe them this money for getting them over in the first place. And they need to work it off, and they can never work it off. It's, it's really... And you can feel it. It's really not nice. Like, I, um, 
I read when I was in there, I read local paper, like the local English language paper. And on, on the letters page, there was a there was a letter of a funny story that someone was relaying of a fire alarm going off in their in their apartment, in their uh, residence. And everyone's gathered outside. And then someone ran out dressed up as one of the maids, waving a passport in the air, shouting, I'm free, I'm free. As like as a joke, and they're like, ha 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 ha! What a funny joke! Ha! <laughs> pretending to be one of the slaves that we keep. <laughs> oh god! I was I, I read that, and I just my stomach turned. It was it was horror. I I do not like Dubai. What was Oman like? Was it Oman? Was well, I only spent one day in. I couldn't really tell. And and it we literally we flew in. Uh, we went straight to the hotel. That the hotel was luxurious. Like we were, in, the gig was in the hotel. That was five star. It had its own section of beach. Oh god! So you know you nice. went out, you went through the pool area and then through a gate and then there's the bit of beach that's yours. Oh my god! Um, and uh, and the gig. So we we just didn't leave that complex. We went we went to the beach and then we did the gig and then we flew out early the next morning. So I I literally experienced sort of nine hours of tenor and there was you know us in one room. Then they had a Freddie Mercury impersonator in another room <laughs> who we went to see later on. Did you, uh, were the gigs in the Far East? You were said you were in Singapore. You yeah. were where else? Uh, Singapore, Indonesia. I so you did Bali? You went to I, Bali? I did Bali and Jakarta. And they could not be more different. That, oh. Have you been to either of them? Or? I've been to Bali. Bali's beautiful, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Bali's like, you know, island paradise. And people there can't say, like, oh, it's not what it used to be. Now it's been ruined by tourism. I was like, it's still pretty damn yeah. nice. <laughs> exactly. It's still pretty cool. You know, everyone wears flowers in their hair and it's just... Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's lovely. Um, Jakarta just sounded like a nightmare. Jakarta is a hellhole. Yeah. Like, it, it's really... Um, it's, it's the most industrial, overwhelming, gridlocked city. It's just smoke and pollution and Ugh. towers and... and like with a ho- again, we were again. We we saw that we get so the nice side of it because we got shipped straight to this. Again, the gig was in the hotel, and it was this five. St- it was the most luxurious so you hotel. I wanted ever to leave the in. hotel. I did leave the hotel and saw some of the town, but this hotel was just like five star, complete, like just the nicest. But um, it was um. Well, who was in the crowd? Were they like almost all expats again? Yeah, yeah. There were uh, not, but it wasn't just Brits in this one. It was a. Uh, you know, there was people. There were a few people from the Finnish embassy. Oh, really? and Aussies, just, a lot of a- few Aussies. Aussies yeah. yeah, quite a few Aussies. Um, and yeah, some Canadians, some Americans. Uh, but you know, they had this full-on security checkpoint to get into the hotel, like like an airport, yeah. like you, yeah, to you keep know, to keep the locals out, to keep the locals out. But also, you know, Jakarta's had some problems with terrorism. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> so you go, you know, your your car gets searched. You get the taxi in, and they make you op- they make the taxi driver open the open the trunk, and they look in. And then to get into the hotel, you have to go through a metal de- detector. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, past the armed guards. <laughs> so, but then once you get in there, it's just like yeah, worth it. It's it's lovely <laughs> and also horrible because you know you're in the most luxury and just three blocks that way. Is There's people with leprosy. Much- yeah, it's, walking around. Yeah. It's, yeah, medieval levels of poverty. <laughs> you know, India was like the same way. Same yeah, way. No, have you been? I've never been to India. There's a comedy store in India now. No, really? The guys who in Mumbai, the guy in Mumbai, the guys who run who who own the the London and Manchester comedy stores have opened one in Mumbai now, 
and have started shipping comedians out there. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intimate place that seats uh, 800,000. Exactly. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what they realize. And they're also sort of, they're, they're, they're having nights now where they're sort of training up the locals and they're, they're having open mics and a few of the locals have got to the point where they're going on the pro nights. Um, but yeah, they realized there's, there's millions. A billion people. There's a billion people in India. There's millions upon millions in Mumbai alone. Yeah. And, but the problem is and the... half of them speak really good English. Oh, so yeah. they're just and and they're crazy about comedy as well. They really like it. So they've they've opened this club and apparently it's doing very well. I'm I'm yet to go out there, but I'd really like to at some point. Yeah, the hardest things about that market is A, they're not big drinkers. Mm-hmm. So you're not gonna make much money off the bar. Maybe in the I mean it's probably catering to the upper classes um, who can afford to go because yeah. and because the bulk of the people have just no money. Um, so you're probably in the higher echelons, but yeah, the upper, upper, but that's where it's going to. But the upper have to and be. the middle classes, because even things like you know the call center workers are still earning half decent money and and speak good English, and then all the sort of tech workers, and there's a big you know there's a big tech industry out there now. Yeah. It's just getting there. I mean, that's a hassle for any comic to. Yeah, I and, do envy that. And and some of another... them fall ill as well. You yeah. Know, oh, I got I got sicker than I have ever been in my life in India. It was rough. Um, but that's the other thing I, I envy about living in a major hub in Europe. You're pretty much an 11-hour flight from just about everywhere in the world. And if you like to travel internationally like I do, living in L.A. is probably the worst place you can live, unless you're going to the Pacific Rim. But other than right, that... Yeah, Pacific... And I guess, yeah, anything Australia or whatever, you can, you can at least fly the other way around yeah, the world. You can go... In Japan. But other than that, it's, it's a hassle. But yeah, I've got... The I time all, change alone All of you. you. Oh, the most screwed I've ever been in my life is going from Australia to L.A., Oh yeah, jet lag like, just wrecked me. Like I've <laughs> never been so broken. Like I'm really good at adjusting to jet lag, and yeah. I was. You gained an entire day. You've gone back in time. Basically. I was a mess for a week, like a, a mess, a full week. Like later, I was just still going. I'm falling. I, I'm falling asleep at six in the evening, and then waking up at two in the morning. It just. It was. I was gone. Yeah, coming back from Asia is always the toughest. It's the biggest time change. I think it's a fourteen hour difference. I think. From, yeah. To uh, India, I remember, and it was just oh, yeah. yeah. Singapore was fun. Like I, I, I don't. I'm not a fan. A little of, dull though. It, I find like, that yeah, yeah, totally. Singapore, mm. the gigs are fun. Singapore, the the country slash city, it's like Switzerland in the tropics. Yes, it is. It's, uh, yes, it's clean. It's, it's too it's clean. It's nice, but borderline uh, it, authoritarian. Yeah, you know, there's there's very little crime, but <laughs> at has that cost. outdoor mall quality to it. it completely. Um. But the food is amazing. The food's great. And we went with the guy. It, there's a couple of people who run gigs out there. But the one I tend to do is for this guy, Jonathan Atherton, who I think we've discussed in the past. Like he, yeah, he's the same guy who books the Hong Kong one. Right? No, that's John Moorhead. That's who I know. Um, that's who I know. Jonathan Atherton is this guy. Um, he's, he's like a relic from another era. Like he, he's from Australia originally. He lives out there. He speaks something like eight of the local languages. Um, so you sort of walk down this. There's various streets where it sort of flits between Indonesians and then Malay because yeah, Singapore, Malays and Singapore's Chinese this crazy and, melting yeah. point pot or other of um of nationalities. Yeah, so there's 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 native Singaporeans, yeah, and then there's Thais, there's Malaysian, Malays. yeah, the Malays. There's a Chinese, in, a lot of Chinese, a lot of Chinese, Indonesians. Um, and I'm probably forgetting about five or six different I know ethnic big, groups. Uh, Japanese there, but not, maybe not so much. No, but um, but all these people from all these different countries pile into there. Oh, Indians! There's a lot of Indians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I stayed in the Indian section. Right, and and you sort of go, you sort of walk down the street with Jonathan, and he's switching between Malay, Indonesian, <laughs> Cantonese, Hindi, and he's just like, he's, but he also he's sort of this. 
drunk, sweaty mess of a man. You know that all those sort of jungle films uh, that they, they were particularly fond of in the sort of 50s, where the hero would arrive in a new town and then suddenly they'd be greeted by this... The doctor of the, the town, who's yeah, like the, the one, one white guy, yeah. who who's wearing like this white linen suit that and his face is red, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, "Well, we've been expecting you for some time. Come on!" And he's just <laughs> and, and everything like all his medicine, some poultice that he's he's, he's like he's that guy, right? Like he's he's a wreck of a man <laughs> who who speaks all the local languages. Uh, uh, he's a disaster. Like he's a disaster to go out on a night with. Yeah, he'll sort of drag you out. Like, here, here are where the prostitutes are, and here's yeah. some bar that these guys are triads. So don't get too cr- like stay away from. And it's just, but he will take you to all the local bars, and he'll take you to the places that the white people don't tend to go. And and his shows because of that, it, there's still a high proportion of expats, but there's there's also there are locals. You know, there there there's Malays in the audience, and there's Sing- native Singaporeans, and there's people like that. Um, we were, we were in one outdoor. We were in one outdoor food market. After all the gigs, he takes us out to some food place. Oh yeah, the the hawker centers. Those yeah, are the they're best. amazing. They're oh, great. So good. So, uh, yeah, it was all these areas where it's like an outdoor food court, and everything. It's all these sort of plastic red garden chairs. Yeah. Around these plastic green tables. It's also where the cheapest beer is. Cheapest beer, <laughs> and it's like a food court where every stand around it on this outdoor area does a different type of thing, and they they normally specialize in only about two dishes. Yeah, but I always tell people think of the the best uh, think of the uh, mall food court and think of it if they all had the greatest food for like three dollars. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like if you want the best Chinese food, like Chinese food that would cost you, you know, twenty dollars here. Totally, you get and, for thir- three bucks. And Jonathan again spoke the language, so you know everything. But we we were in we were in one of these after the show, and this guy who's like naked from the waist up, just like this young youngish kid with tattoos. Uh, staggers in, looks at a mess, and he sort of barges his way behind, uh, behind one of the counters, looking for something, and then he sort of staggers back out again. And we're like, "That's weird. What's he doing?" And and, and Jonathan's like, "Ah, oh, he's probably looking for a knife. He's in a fight or something." Uh, and he <laughs> staggers back out again, and he disappears. And we're like, that was fucking weird. Um, and then about uh, uh, about. Ten minutes later, he comes back and he's got more blood. He's got some blood trickling down from his forehead. <laughs> and now he's got a meat cleaver, like this huge oh cleaver. Oh, my God. Like, it's just, <laughs> just waving this cleaver around, um, getting really close to us. And and myself and Janice, who's one of the other comics, and, and I think Ro, who's it, all, like, all the three comics, we sort of got up and we, we sort of moved away from him. Jonathan just sits there sipping his beer. <laughs> just... <laughs> And then he starts, like, and then he disappears. Then he comes back again, and he comes right, f- like, we get up again, and he comes right for me. And I, there's, like, this big, like, pillar with a trash can, and I sort of, like, has that between me and him. And we sort of, he sort of comes around one way, and I go around the other and just leg it off. And he's sort of staggering around with his cleaver. <laughs> oh, my God. Jonathan, meanwhile, is just still sat there sweating and drinking. Eventually, <laughs> 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 like, we, we, we just... We get into the cut. We fight. We flag down a taxi. And we just go back. We go home, <laughs> and, then, and then Jonathan, Jonathan's like, uh, uh, afterwards he's like, um, oh, he was never, he was never after us. He was never after you. Just stay calm. They, he'll just go around you. Like he's swinging the cleaver around. <laughs> Even if he's not after you, he could catch you by accident. Or he could fall out. It's a oh, meat cleaver. Oh <laughs> my just, god! But he's that guy. He's like, ah, oh, it's just 
he's treating it like a bee. Like, <laughs> just, you stay still. He's not after you. He won't bother you. <laughs> just... and, the, and the kicker is that Singapore is one of the safest cities around in Asia. He is. But then we also find out that he tells us afterwards, oh, yeah, that's that, that's a big gangster area. That that market that we're at, that's where all the gangsters oh, hang yeah. out. Because it does, you know, Singapore does still have its crime bits. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the uh, I always found that that to be like uh, Singapore was, was like New York in the way that there's either well I found this either you're paying five hundred dollars for a hotel yeah or you're paying a hundred and living in hell and I was yeah. in this I had the worst hotel that I had in three months it was I in Singapore and it was in the, that Indian like it wasn't it was not nice it was it had no windows it was like a cell it was a cell. Yeah, but uh, the difference between that there was no middle midway hotel. Right. Either right. I'm paying eighty dollars or four hundred, and you know four hundred was still a yeah, little stiff for me. Uh, going back to what you were saying before, there's all those far east gigs, and then then this is Europe gigs where often you are playing more to the locals. Like Holland is almost entirely Dutch audiences. I did a gig in Finland once where the all the other comics were Finnish and spoke in Finnish, and the audience was Finnish. Which and is, you go up there speaking, and I went up at the end, and it was really, it was really weird. I've never done that before. Where I didn't, because normally as a comic, you'll, you'll at least keep half an ear on the rest of the show to see what people are talking about, see what they've covered, see, you make sure you don't step on anyone. But I've got no idea what's been covered, what they've talked about. I didn't even know when I was about to be introduced because the MC was introducing me in Finnish. Oh god! So you're just listening for when the tone of voice changes. And I, I was asking the other comics, is he is he about to introduce? Is this it now? Is he introducing me now? Or is it like. Uh, How did it go? Because the Finns have a reputation of being kind of a serious, dour kind of people. Stoic, but but again, yeah. when you win them over, they're they're all right. Holland, if you play a Dutch audience, you I got this this from Brendan Burns. This tip from Brendan. The first time I gigged with him, an Australian comic. The first time I gigged with, sorry, the first time I gigged in Amsterdam was with him, and he did this bit up front that I've I've sort of cribbed my own version of, uh, where he just sort of told them. Listen, I know what you guys are like. Uh, if you find something funny, do us a favor and laugh. Because <laughs> what Dutch audiences will do is they'll sort of sit there smiling politely throughout the show. Oh, yeah, I understand that. That is clever. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, they'll applaud wildly. <laughs> you just go, oh, shit, I, was, I thought I was dying for, a, for an hour. And it, <laughs> yeah. No, they were enjoying it, but just decided to do that internally. Uh, so you got to kind of tell them, like, just... Just let us know. Just let us know if right. you're having fun, and that, that'll encourage us in some way. All right. I think this is a good place to take a break. Tune in next week to hear the second half of my conversation with Matt Kirshen. Until then, enjoy your week. <laughs>